This week, Reverend Wendy continues her series about the Persian poet Rumi. This week, Reverend Wendy looks at how his poetry reflects the idea that our life is the most important work of art we will ever create. Reverend Wendy provides concrete examples from a number of sources, including Rumi, of ways we can shift our perspective and change our lives. All right, so we're going to explore the topic of knowing how to live. It's always been curious to me that life doesn't come really with an instruction manual. You know, when I think of all of the devices I buy, all the appliances I buy, over the years, the instructions and all the disclaimers have gotten longer and longer and longer. And I'm not one of those people that usually read those instructions anyway, unless I can't get the thing to work. Then I go back and I try to read, read the instructions. But life is our greatest gift. And in so many ways, it really doesn't come with a an operating manual and, 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 and instructions. And yet in some ways, we get those instructions from wisdom teachers along the way. I wanna suggest that your life and my life are the greatest works of art that we will ever create. And that we create that work of art every single day. We create it, in fact, moment by moment with the paintbrushes of the thoughts that we think, the feelings that we hold, the choices that we make, what gets our holy yes and what gets our sacred no. Every decision we make, we are painting the canvas of our lives. I want us to explore together today some inspirational ideas on how to live our life taken from a man who lived and spoke and taught in the 13th century. His name was Jalal Muhammad Rumi. He was a 13th century Persian poet. Most of all, he was a great spiritual teacher and a Sufi mystic. And what is amazing to me about the ideas of his that I want to share with you this morning is that he spoke these in the 13th century. And on one hand, there is absolutely no question that life looks really different today, externally, than it did in the 13th century. But what is also absolutely true is that inwardly, the things that human beings still struggle with, the things that human beings still long for are much the same. And that's why someone who spoke in the 13th century and spoke from spiritual insight and mysticism still reaches across all those centuries to us today in Southern California in the year 2017. That is amazing to me and that is a gift. So here's the first of seven such wisdom teachings on how to live our life from Rumi. This first one is, the art of knowing is knowing what to ignore. The art of knowing is knowing what to ignore. Say that with me, please. The art of knowing is knowing what to ignore. Would you agree that it is important to know what to ignore? If so, give me an amen or a clap or something. <laughs> Knowing what 
to ignore. Remember when the expression, don't sweat the small stuff was so popular. Don't sweat the small stuff. P.S. It's all small stuff. Don't major in minors. Many different ways to say the same thing. This inspirational teaching of Rumi's supports really one of our practices in metaphysics, one of our principles in metaphysics. And that is a principle that says what gets our attention gets us. That energy flows where attention goes. That we need to pay attention to what it is that is getting our attention. Because what is getting our attention is getting us. Knowing what to ignore, knowing what to say yes to, knowing what to pay no attention to whatsoever. Years ago, there was a couple who were celebrating their 50th anniversary, and at their anniversary party, the wife was asked, what was one of the secrets to them living happily together for 50 years? And she answered by saying, on the day that we were married, I made a list of 10 of your father's faults. And I decided that these would be 10 faults that I would choose to ignore. And so over the years, whenever he did one of those things, I would silently say to myself, thank God it's on the list. <laughs> and then over the years, I forgot what was on the list. And I just learned to ignore a lot of the small stuff. So knowing what to ignore. Second. Amen, yes. Second one from Rumi. Live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. Live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. Let's say that together. Live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. Does it ever feel like that's not true? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you notice that even if it appears that it's not true, that it still serves you better to practice and to live life from that perspective than not? Because as soon as we make a conscious choice to live as if everything is in life is rigged to our favor, we will live at a much higher vibrational level, a much higher level of consciousness than if we don't, than if we don't. When it looks like things are a mess in your life, can you take the attitude, well, I'm gonna step back and be totally open and totally willing to be surprised at what beauty might come forth as a result of this mess right now. Right now I may just see a mess. Right now I may see pain. Right now I may see what appears to be huge problems and no way through them. But what if I choose to keep in my mind the attitude? What if I choose to approach them as if it is still somehow, some way, sometime along the span of my life rigged in my ultimate favor? You know, one of our basic teachings in unity is the teaching that says, Everything ultimately works together for our highest good. Sometimes that ultimately takes a long time before we see it. But I know that you've had experiences in your life that were really hard that you went through. 
and that now, having gone through them, you can look back at them and you can see how you are a different person, a better person, a smarter person, a more loving, a more patient, a stronger, a more faith-filled person than you were when you had to first deal with whatever that was. I came across this statement as I was preparing this message and I really liked it. It says, if something in your life is not yet okay, it simply means it is not yet over. If something in your life is not yet okay, it simply means that it is not yet over. And so I want to say to you that even if you find yourself resisting the idea or challenged by the idea that ultimately everything works together for your highest good, that at least even if you can't completely hold on to that, what I do know and what I do suggest you do is at least approach your life and at least approach those challenges as if somehow, some way, they were ultimately rigged in your favor. Because I promise you that doing so is going to, pro to produce a much more positive outcome than if you do not. And I don't know about you, but I like positive outcomes. Do you like positive outcomes? Right. Third inspirational idea from Rumi on how to live our life is this. I want to sing like the birds sing, not worrying about who hears or what they think. I want to sing like the birds sing, not worrying about who hears or what they think. Say that with me. I want to sing like the birds sing, not worrying about who hears or what they think. Wow. Is that a stretch for any of you? I know that that is still a stretch for me, even with regard to as much inner work as I think I have done. And though he's using the words, sing like the birds sing, he's talking about something much broader than that. He's talking about the courage and the vulnerability to allow ourselves to be seen in our fullest sense, who we really are, even if we don't do it perfectly. This one touches me and the little girl inside of me still struggles with this one. And she does because of some very early and, and deep wounding around being embarrassed and humiliated publicly and feeling the shame and the, the hurt of that. And what I know is that there is both a good thing that came out of that, as I had to work with that and do my best to heal from it, and a not so good thing that came out of that. The good thing that came out of that is I am driven to, 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 to always do and give my very best because I want to and because I don't want to embarrass myself. Does that make sense? So part of the outcome is a positive outcome. I think we all appreciate when people, no matter what they are doing, whether they're preparing a meal or singing a song or performing a, a musical, we prefer a nice, beautiful end result, right? We like beauty, we like excellence. The downside of that is if one's not careful, one can wind up really shutting down and being much more inhibited and saying no 
because we are afraid, I am afraid, what if I don't do it well? What if I make a fool of myself? And can you see how that energy can cause us to not say yes to some of the beautiful experiences, adventures, and opportunities of life? Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Can you relate to any of it? I want to sing like the birds sing, not worrying about who hears or what they think. And so maybe one day I won't be so self-conscious about turning my microphone off when we sing together for fear that it is not muted from above and that you will hear this odd voice off key. Or maybe I will start the clapping in a song, trusting that I'm on the right note or rhythm or tune or whatever the heck it is or not caring if I'm not. One of the things I know is how much I deeply respect and admire my 21-year-old daughter, Jennifer. Some of you know Jennifer. My daughter will be one of the first to admit that she can't sing. She can't even sing as well as I can sing, and that's not saying a whole lot. And she doesn't have a sense of rhythm. And dancing is, she didn't get dancing genes. And yet what I love and admire and respect so much in her. It she'll be the first to sing a song at a karaoke thing with friends if it's a song about friendship and she wants to connect with them and she wants to sing it as a gift, even though it might sound pretty bad. <laughs> but they receive it as a gift. They receive it as a gift. That she will be the first out on the dance floor, even if she's not looking like the best one out on the dance floor and she will have a ton of fun. And there's a part of me, and maybe you can relate to this in some way in your own life, that's sitting on the sidelines saying, I know I don't do that well, so I'm not even gonna get in there and try. Remember that great work from Brene Brown, The Art of Vulnerability, or The Art of the, what is it? Something about perfect, help me out, do you remember? I did a whole series on it. The gifts of imperfection, thank you, thank you. The gifts of imperfection. She writes a lot about this whole idea in relationship to wholehearted living and the willingness to be vulnerable, the willingness to show up and be seen even if we don't know how to do something, even if we're starting as a beginner. And when we do, we open up our life to so many more possibilities. And what we also do, I know what Jennifer does for me is she helps me to break apart a little bit more, it's slow process for me, but a little bit more of self-consciousness or feelings of inhibition because I see her and I think I want to be more like that. A fourth thing from Rumi in knowing how to live is this idea, and this one is a little, a little more mystical, I think. You think because you understand one, you must also understand two because one and one make two but you must also understand and. You must also understand and. That which is between those two. That which seems to hold them on different ends. What I think he's touching upon there is something that is critical for us to wrap our arms around spiritually. And it is the idea of divine paradox. 
we have lots of paradox, divine paradox and unity. Let me just touch upon a couple as they relate to God. We say that God is imminent, meaning within, and God is transcendent, meaning without. Don't those seem like opposite, within or without? And yet we say, don't say within or without. We don't say imminent or transcendent. We say imminent and transcendent. Divine paradox. Both are true. Both are true. Not either or, both and. We also say of God, principle, which seems very precise, very calculating, and personal, which is the warm and fuzzy, right? It's the God that, that we long for as a child in a way, with skin on, right? That personal feeling that there's a caring. Both are true. F. Scott Fitzgerald said it better than I can. The test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. <laughs> One should, for example, be able to see that things are hopeless and yet be determined to make them otherwise. So it's being able to hold those seemingly opposites within consciousness and know that they can both be true. The fifth, I love this teaching of his, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. <laughs> yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Can you think back to a time in your life, maybe as a young person, maybe in a very liberal college, gonna change the world, gonna be an activist. I don't know about you, I think we need people who are actively engaged around the issues in our world today, but I don't want to see a world and issues populated by angry activists because they're not gonna produce the end result that we're longing for. He's got a divine paradox in here though, because we do wanna change the world. We need to change the world. The way we do it, though, is first and foremost continually working on ourselves, educating ourselves, growing ourselves, dealing with our own shadows, bringing forth our own light. As we change ourselves, we cannot help but change just the world right around us. And as we change the world around us, that ripples out and it ripples out and it ripples out and we must never lose heart and never be discouraged that we can't see how far the ripple goes <clears throat> or that we don't feel the ripple has gone far enough or quick enough. It is not ours to judge that as long as we are taking care of our part right here, doing our inner work right here and saying yes to how we can make a difference in the lives right before us, then in that, we will live within the both end. We will live within the transforming our individual life and helping to heal our world. Jesus told us the same thing. He told us to start with ourself. He didn't say it that way. He said it in a metaphorical way. He said, why are you so concerned about the 
speck in your brother's eye that you cannot see the log in your own eye. First deal with the log in your own eye, then you will see clearly to deal with the speck in your brother's eye. I don't know about you, but the more that I attempt to practice that kind of working on myself, the more I attempt to practice working on the log in my own eye so I can see more clearly, it is amazing to me how often the speck in my brother's eye just disappears. Hmm, what's that about? That's a whole other lesson. And the sixth, <clears throat> he tells us, it's your road and yours alone. Others may walk it with you, but no one can walk it for you. I find that inspiring. I find that requiring individual strength and stamina and courage. It's your road. Yours alone. Others may walk it with you, but no one can walk it for you. Your soul came into this experience with certain things to experience and certain life lessons, some of which are probably very clear to you, and some of which may not be so clear to you. There's a tra trajectory of your life. There is a path of your life. There is a series of learnings and growings and lessons that are divinely created for your soul's growth and development. You're going to walk that road. You have to walk that road alone. It's yours alone, I should say, it's yours alone to walk, but you can bring others with you to help support you along the way. You hear me say pretty frequently that in order to take care of one's spiritual self, that two critical things are needed. <clears throat> A spiritual teaching and practice that makes sense to one's mind one's heart, and one's soul. You've got to find a teaching that you can practice that really speaks to your mind, heart, and soul. But the other is one that sometimes is forgotten, and that is a spiritual community, a group, a tribe that you can be with that is also attempting to practice the very same kinds of things and ways of being. And that community is important because that's a community that walks alongside of you as you are walking that path that is unique to you to walk based on the learnings and lessons that your soul has incarnated to learn and experience. But we need both. We need the teaching and we need the community. And then we can walk that path in a much stronger and clearer way. And that really is the beauty of our life. The seventh, he says, before death takes away what you are given, Give away what there is to give. Before death takes away what you are given, give away what there is to give. I watched last night, or was it the night before, a really great documentary on Warren Buffett. It's fascinating to learn more about this man and to learn about his journey of giving away just a tremendous amount of wealth and what was behind that, some of the, the motivation of that. Before death takes away what you are giving, give away what there is to give. I came across this quote from Denzel Washington and it just cracked me up, so I want to share it with you. He said, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. 
Let that one sink in for a moment. It's good, isn't it? You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. And an old Danish proverb, your last suit doesn't have any pockets. Yeah. So giving it away, giving it away. So as I've left just a little bit of time to do this, there is a short two-minute, 30-second video that I want to wrap up the message with. And it's a message <clears throat> given by a very young woman who is dealing with cystic fibrosis. And it speaks to the part of the message that I'm trying to deliver this morning, that your life really is the most important work of art you will ever create. And that we don't all start at the same starting point, we don't all have the same issues or challenges, but we all have the same thing called life to make the very best of it that we possibly can. And that is always by choice from the inside out. So I hope you'll be inspired by this story of Claire. So if I can have the lights off and the video up. I want to live with terminal optimism. How about you? Did she inspire you? I hope so. Kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it, with whatever we might be dealing with in, in our lives sometimes when we see some of the things that others are, are dealing with. Thanks for listening. Sunday services at 9 and 11 a.m. Inclusivity. It's worth the drive. Subscribe to our podcasts and download our free app for instant access to a wealth of spiritual teachings, services, and events.